we are in the first Sunday after Easter. Did you know that? Last week was Easter. Did anybody know that? Yeah, a few heads nodding. A few people going, what is this guy talking about? Um, what happens after Easter? Right? So much goes into preparing and celebrating for Easter. Uh, it's kind of the big day, especially church culture, right? Like um, churches have planned their huge events. I, I, <laughs> I saw a, a church that I'm familiar with. I follow them on Facebook. It's not around here, whatever. But they had uh, a helicopter egg drop. Um, like Easter's a big deal. <laughs> but that was last week. Like, so now what? <laughs> uh, I know uh, around the world today, there are probably countless youth pastors preaching sermons because the pastors, the senior pastors have taken it as their week off because it's the week after Easter, right? Like, so this is just kind of the rhythm of things. Like, we got to Easter, yay, you know, we celebrated, everybody was excited about last week, and now we're, you know, Easter's over or something, right? So what happens now? And that could be a question about, like, what happens now in terms of church services or what's the next big event or like what do we do but I'm more concerned about what happens now from a scripture story type of thing like if you, I, I hope you guys are starting to pick up that I love the the story of uh, that we find in the Bible right the story of God in history and um, that's why we did storytelling last week on the big Easter Sunday we did we're going to tell a story instead of a, a big sermon like it's the story of God that that I felt a call to ministry into when, when I finally understood the story of God. Like, I love the story. And so what happens after Easter in the story of God? And you, I mean, Jesus did stuff. What happens next, right? Um, what happens? What does Jesus do after he's resurrected? Um, and it's not just a random trivia question, like, well, he did this and then he did that. But, like, if Easter was, as I prayed a few moments ago, the beginning of something new, uh, if it was the culmination of a promise, if it was a setting right things that had been wrong, that means that the days after Easter are really what God intended us to be living in, right? And so we should be able to say, what's going on now? Right? Yes, let's celebrate Easter. The tomb's empty. Jesus is not dead. Yay, hooray. But what's he doing? <laughs> what's the plan? Right? Do we just kind of, I don't know, like, is the story over? Or have we reached a point where we can talk about where the story goes from here? So on the church calendar, which is something that uh, I enjoy following as, as a pastor preaching through the church calendar, through the church seasons, Easter isn't one Sunday. It's actually a season in the life of the church. Just in the same way that like Christmas isn't one day, it's, there's the 12 days of Christmas. Right? Um, there's a season of Easter, or sometimes called Easter Tide. And so that's what we're entering into. And, and this sermon series, Belong, Believe, Beloved, um, or Beloved, depending on how you put the emphasis, um, is our Easter series. I said last week that if you were missing out on the traditional Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning story of Mary and the empty tomb, um, because we did the storytelling thing, um, to come back this week because that, you're going to get the Easter story, uh, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, but during this sermon series, uh, we're going to focus on a theme. And every week, every week it's going to be almost the same theme. Um, honestly, it's going to be the same theme. Um, and that theme is this. Because of Jesus' love for us, he invites us into his life where we belong to him and we can believe in him. 
Because Jesus has love for us, he invites us into his life where we belong to him and we can believe in him. Each week we're going to look at a relationship between the resurrected Jesus and his disciples. All right, so I already told you this week we're going to look at Mary at the empty tomb. Next week we're going to look at Thomas when Jesus appears to him. And look at the relationship between the resurrected Jesus and Thomas. The week after that, we're going to look at Jesus appearing to terrified disciples. A group of people that were afraid because they didn't know what to do after Easter. And Jesus shows up. And by the end of the message, he's sending them out to be his witnesses, right? So it goes from from being terrified to testifying. Um, Another week in the sermon series will be about Jesus being the vine and his disciples being the branches. And if you haven't picked up on that that's a relational element right and then there's another week where Jesus says I am the good shepherd and you are the sheep you are the flock and so we're going to talk about what it means to be in relationship with the resurrected Jesus and so this morning we're going to start with a story about what happens on Easter Sunday morning and it's familiar to many of us right so Mary goes to the to find Jesus Uh, to be near him, right? And the tomb was empty, and she runs back and tells the other disciples. And so in this version, we're looking at John. Um, In this version, Peter and a disciple that Jesus loved, which is often viewed as John, which, you know, kind of fun, um, run to the tomb, and they find that the tomb is empty. And so then it says they believed what Mary had said, and then they went home, right? So they found that the tomb was empty, and then they went back home. And that's where our scripture story picks up today. So we're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. And like I said, this picks up right after the Peter and John have gone back to where the disciples were. Um, Chapter 20 in John, verse 11, says this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this word this morning. Uh, We're grateful for your scriptures, which you have um, preserved for us to present to us your truth. May your spirit move freely amongst us today, revealing... uh, your presence in our hearts and in our minds, creating and forming us into the body of Christ, into the image of Jesus, and then breathing us out, sending us out into the world 
where we can live out this word. We thank you and love you. Amen. So this story, like I said, it's a familiar story, and I'm not going to try and put a new spin on it or anything like that, but a few days after the crucifixion, Mary is going to the tomb early in the morning, it says. And so my mind initially goes to the question of why would she go there? Right? What she, could she possibly be hoping to do that day? Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, she's going to the tomb where Jesus was buried. She went to grieve. Right? She was missing her loved one. She was feeling lost, not quite sure what to do. Right? In, in another place, a few chapters earlier in John chapter 6, um, the Bible tells us that many disciples quit following Jesus. They reached a point where they're just like, we're out of here. This is crazy. This is too hard. We don't want to do this anymore. And in John chapter 6, many of the disciples leave Jesus. And he, Jesus, says to them, asks them the question if they wanted to leave as well, to the 12. He said, do you guys want to go too? Like, there's a, the bus is leaving. You can get on it if you need to. And Peter answered, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. In, an, in another book, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, Jesus is teaching about the difficulties of, of a rich man to submit to the reign and rule of God or to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? And the disciples were troubled by how hard this teaching was. And again, it was Peter who spoke up and said you know, to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? You see, the disciples had abandoned everything to follow Jesus. They had turned away from some of them from their families, some of them from their livelihood, some of them from their pasts, uh, you know, their, their ways of making money, their ways of supporting themselves. Or, like they've turned away and abandoned everything to follow Jesus. That's what Peter says here. They trusted him. They put their hope in him. They anticipated seeing Jesus being successful in this life. That's why they followed him. He was going to provide answers. He was going to provide the way. He was going to provide something that they were looking for. And yet, on Good Friday, they saw this one that they'd put all their hope and trust in die. And so Sunday morning, Mary goes to the tomb thinking of all the things that they'd left behind to grab a hold of Jesus. And all that was left was his dead body in a tomb. And she wanted to be near it. She, she needed to be close to Jesus. She was looking for answers. She was looking for hope. She was looking for comfort, anything but to be near Jesus. She didn't know what else to do. I know that when I was younger, um, I found myself visiting my dad's grave. My dad passed away when I was in high school. And when I would have hard days or seasons of life that were challenging, I would find myself graveside at my dad's grave. And so I understand Mary's impulse here. Right? You go to find answers or peace or comfort or just a place to grieve or to focus all your attentions. But when Mary got to the tomb, she realized the only thing they thought they had left of Jesus, they didn't have anymore. His dead body was gone now. They had, they had put all their hope, the disciples had put all their hope, all their trust into Jesus. And here on early on Sunday morning, they didn't even have his dead body anymore. They had nothing left to hold on to. But for Jesus, the goal was never to win at the world's game, to succeed according to the world's understanding of success. That's not what his mission was. That's not what he was up to. The goal for Jesus was to reveal a new kind of life altogether. Right? 
resurrecting life. The life that death could not defeat. Resurrection life. The life that was not corrupted by worldly kingdoms, nor was it vulnerable to the weapons of worldly kingdoms. A sword could not protect this kind of life, nor could a cross end this kind of life. It was such a foreign type of life that that we wouldn't even recognize it. And that's what's being depicted here in this story on Sunday morning. It's a different type of life, so much so that we wouldn't even recognize it. So much so that when the resurrected Jesus calls out to Mary, Woman, why are you crying? She didn't even recognize him. It was so different. It was so unfamiliar. It was so uh, unexpected that she did not recognize Jesus standing in front of her, talking to her. Our scripture said she thought he was the gardener. Now, there's a really cool rabbit trail that we're not going to go down right now, but there's a really cool rabbit trail about her thinking Jesus was the gardener, tying back into the creation story where God creates Adam and Eve and puts them in the garden and says to take care of it. Right, So Jesus being the gardener points us back all the way to the beginning. And that's a rabbit trail we don't have time to to tackle this morning, but um, I wanted to point it out. Um, But so this man that she didn't recognize, she asked him the question, like, what would you do with Jesus? Where did his body go? I'll go get it. Just tell me what you did with it. At least let me have his body to care for and to remember him properly. Like you've, They beat him. They arrested him. They crucified him. You've taken everything away from us. At least let us do the dignity, you know, the honorable thing of burying him properly. But something happened. Something powerful happened in this moment that allowed Mary to clearly see resurrected Jesus. Something happened that allowed Mary to properly understand that resurrection life was right in front of her. What was it that allowed Mary to see that this man who she thought was the gardener, this man that was right in front of her, was actually the resurrected Jesus? What allowed Mary to understand the truth about resurrection life? What was it that invited Mary into a relationship, a new relationship with the resurrected Jesus? Jesus spoke to her by name. And upon hearing her name, she immediately knew it was Jesus. She called him teacher. She then went and told the other disciples that she had seen the Lord. Now what caught my attention in this familiar story, and this is the pastor's trick that we go to when we're like preaching familiar texts, is ask, well, what stood out this time, right? So what caught my attention in this familiar story was that she actually saw Jesus twice in this story. She saw the Lord twice in this story. But the first time, she didn't know it was him. She couldn't see the resurrected Jesus standing right in front of her, even when he was saying to her, woman, why are you crying? But when when he said her name, she could see him. In one moment, she couldn't comprehend, she couldn't see, she couldn't understand the resurrection, that new reality that was right in front of her. And in the next moment, she knew without a doubt that it was Jesus and she knew what had happened. And so the question that I have for us today that comes from the story 
is, is, you know, the question about what's going on in the story is the same question I have for us as Christians trying to live out our faith in the year 2021. How do people who can't see and understand the resurrected Jesus become people who do see and understand the resurrected Jesus? And if I'm being honest, as a pastor, this story troubles me a little bit. Actually, it troubles me a lot. Can people run into Jesus and still miss him? <laughs> this bothers me as a pastor. Can people encounter Jesus? Can, can people, like Mary, go looking for Jesus? Get up early on Sunday morning to go be with Jesus and still feel lost and in despair? Can there are people that are love Jesus and looking for him still miss him? Because they are looking for Jesus in this life, in the old life, in a different way. They're looking for pre-resurrection Jesus. And Jesus shows up with resurrection life. Can people miss Jesus because they're looking for Jesus living the wrong kind of life? Can people get up early in the morning searching for God and yet miss him because their expectations and their imagination limits their ability to see or to understand even if Jesus is in their midst, even if Jesus is talking to them? Can we miss Jesus even if he's standing right in front of us because the resurrected Jesus looks different than what we expected? Mary went looking for him and, it, and still did not find him even when he was talking to her. She went looking for him and didn't find him. It wasn't until Jesus called her by name and made this a personal experience was Mary able to see Jesus. So who was missing on that Easter Sunday morning? Who was lost? And how did they get found? We think, well, Jesus' body was missing and Mary's going to go find it. But in reality, the story flips it on its head and says Mary was lost. She was confused. She was in despair. She was without hope. And Jesus found her. It wasn't until Jesus called her by name and made this a personal experience that Mary was able to understand and to see the resurrected Jesus. For a few decades now, a prominent message of the church has been to invite Jesus into your heart. Invite Jesus into your life. Have you heard this? This is a common message and, and honestly has been so wrapped up into the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, um, that it's hard to actually talk about the gospel without talking about it in the terms of inviting Jesus into your life or in, into your heart. Um, but the reality is, is that the way of phrasing that, the way of sharing the gospel in that context didn't start until the 1900s. And it was probably in the, like the 1950s that this really became prominent way of talking about the gospel. Invite Jesus into your heart. Invite Jesus into your life. And it, it kind of came about to solve a need, to address a problem. It was uh, a way of giving new believers something to do immediately upon their confession of faith. Um, and the, the, this, this prayer of inviting Jesus into your life or into your heart uh, upon be, becoming a believer was separate from... Uh, church liturgy and church sacrament. And what I mean by that is 
you could do this outside of a church service. You could do this outside of a, a baptismal service. You could do this outside of having a, a pastor present, a, you know, a community of believers present. Like You could experience the gospel outside of a church service. And that was the need that this was, was addressing, right? Uh, and if you think of like what religious life looked like during this time period, you had you know, crusades, Billy Graham, and, and things like that happening, like big public... Um, but they weren't church services. They were something else, right? Um, there was the prominent tracts, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, they're like little cards and, and pamphlets that people would pass out or leave um, in public places so that you could like read it and, and be led to the Lord while you're in the, the gas station bathroom um, or places like that, right? Or people would go door to door. But it was outside of a church service and... and um, you know, we had soul winning, you know, sidewalk preachers and those types of things. And, and like you could be faithful and respond outside of being baptized or outside of, of, of joining a church, right? Like there was a way to respond. It wasn't baptism. It wasn't communion. It wasn't confirmation as a response to the gospel, but a prayer inviting Jesus into your life, right? And if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard this message Honestly, it may even be the gospel message that you responded to. I think back to when I prayed a, a prayer when I was 13 years old in, in, back in 1993. Um, now you can do math and figure out how old I am. Um, my prayer was for Jesus to come into my life or into my heart. I don't remember the exact words, but I'm pretty sure that's the prayer I prayed, was inviting Jesus into my life, into my heart. Um, so if that's something you did, like I did, I'm not trying to mess with your faith or tell you that that doesn't count or anything like that. But I do want to tell you that there's a much older way of talking about life in Christ. There's a much more original way about talking about conversion, about salvation, about the gospel of Jesus. And the story of Mary and the empty tomb helps us understand that the goal of Christianity is not to add a little bit of Jesus into our current life, but to encounter and experience the radically different life that the resurrected Jesus invites us into. We're not trying to add Jesus to our current circumstances and then assume that life in this kingdom will be a little bit better because Jesus is on our side or a part of my life. But rather, we are invited by Jesus to experience the new life, the eternal life, the resurrection life that he has, that he is living and the differences between these two ideas about life and who is inviting who into life is a radical, it's a profound difference. So rather, we are invited by Jesus to experience this new life, this eternal life, this resurrection life that he has. We aren't trying to make some adjustments to this life so it's better, but the gospel of Jesus invites us to radically abandon this life so that we can receive a new life. Jesus told his followers to pick up your cross and to follow him. The invitation is to die to the kingdom of this world so that you can experience life in God's kingdom. And so the point that I want you to understand today is that Christianity isn't about inviting Jesus into our lives to make our lives a little bit better. Life in Jesus is about understanding that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and was resurrected. And as one experiencing resurrection life, Jesus invites us to join him in that life. 
which is a much bigger deal than sprinkling a little Jesus into our calendar or our schedule uh, and just going about our business. Jesus shows up to where we are and invites us to experience new life in him. There's an invitation going on, but it's Jesus that is inviting us into his life. Again, Mary went looking for Jesus. She went to find him. And even though he was standing right in front of her, it wasn't until he addressed her that she understood the resurrection, that new life had come. He invited her to come where he was. Jesus shows up where we are and invites us to experience new life in him. And this invitation is personal. Mary can't see it, can't understand it, can't uh, comprehend it until Jesus calls her by name. Jesus engages his followers in a personal and powerful way, revealing the truth of resurrection and the truth of their citizenship in the kingdom of God. And so this sermon series that we're just beginning today is a time in the life of the church where we will focus on what Jesus does after the resurrection. We will see week after week that because of Jesus' love for us, he shows up, he pronounces our identity as God's children or our identity as citizens of God's kingdom and invites us to believe in him, to put our trust in him, to put our hope in him. Jesus does not desire to give us a better life in the kingdom of this world, but rather wants for us to experience the abundant life, the eternal life, the resurrection life in the kingdom of God. And that's where the sermon series comes in. We belong to Jesus because he has gathered us to himself through this process. We believe in Jesus because he invites us to put our hope and our trust in him as he reveals himself to us. And he does all of that because he loves us. Because of Jesus' love for us, he invites us into his life where we belong to him and believe in him. And we often get this backwards, right? Religion, Christianity, when at its worst, when in its worst form, gets this flipped upside down or gets it flipped backwards. And we say, if we believe the right things about Jesus, then we can belong in the kingdom of God. And then, if we're inside the kingdom of God, then God can love us. And see how that quickly turns into a legalism, a a morality, and has less to do with Jesus' love for us and less to do with the grace and mercy and forgiveness of the cross and more to do with, well, if I believe the right things and I do the right things, then I can enter into the right place. And then when all those things happen, then God can love me the way that God wants to. But the gospel starts with God so loving the world that he sent He's the one that came to find us. He's the one that invites us into new life. It's because of God's love for us that Jesus has claimed us as his own. He asks us to join him in that new life and to put our trust and our faith and our belief in him. How does Jesus invite people to experience life with him? Through personal relationships and personal experiences. And so this season following Easter Sunday, this Easter tide season in the life of this church, where we're asking, so what happens after Easter? I'm going to invite you 
to commit to practices that allow you to hear Jesus inviting you to his resurrection life. Right? Commit to practices that allows you to hear Jesus inviting you into his life, his abundant life, his life in the kingdom of God. As you see on the screen, it says life in Christ is a relationship with Jesus, not a single experience. It's not a moment in time. It's an ongoing relationship in which he's inviting us to live his life. And so during the next few weeks and, and beyond, um, you're going to hear this invitation from me and from others. Commit to practices that allow you to hear Jesus inviting you into his resurrection life. Well, what does that look like? Uh, a few weeks ago, I sent out uh, a, a, an email um, and several of you got the, the physical copy of it in the driving ministry stuff or whatever, um, where I introduced this idea of one plus one plus one, right? One plus one plus one is my way of communicating my hope for you as, as um, part of this church family. And the one plus one plus one is worship and discipleship and service, right? Those are the three ones that you add together, right? One plus one plus one. And so my hope for you, my uh, goal for you, my expectation for us as a church leadership team is to help create an environments and opportunities for you to worship in a gathered way once a week. Right? So that's what Sunday morning is doing online or in person. Right? Commit to worshiping in a community of believers once a week. Commit to being part of a discipleship uh, opportunity once a week, whether that's Sunday school or a Bible study, or, or something along those lines. We had some conversations about what it's going to look like going forward. Um, and then find a way to serve somebody else once per week. And whether that's through a church program, or if you find yourself saying, I, I can't get out or do those things, commit to serving others and serving God through prayer. But this one plus one plus one thing is not going to be something that goes away. Like this is going to be the foundation of, of how we define our Christian lives together. Are we worshiping together? Are we discipling and growing in our faith with Jesus and our understanding of the scriptures? Are we serving others by serving God? Um, so that's one. Another practice that you can get involved in to, to hear Jesus inviting you into, into his resurrection life is the pause for prayer thing that we're kicking off this week. Um, intentionally, this isn't part of the one plus one plus one thing because this isn't a program. <laughs> it's not an activity. It's not an event. It's a time where the people of God get together and, and pray. Um, so it doesn't count as a discipleship thing. It doesn't count as a worship thing. It's literally people just getting together to pray. To stop the busyness and the noise of life, to block all that out, and to bring our burdens and troubles together to each other and to God. And then there's, there's personal practices, daily devotions, uh, scripture reading, uh, whatever it is that you find in your life um, to help you be faithful to Jesus. Right? So life in, in Christ, this resurrection life, is not one that's like, oh, I had an experience 25 years ago when I was a kid and, and I've just been, you know, me and Jesus happily ever after since then. It's, it's a relationship that requires a commitment to practice these things. Our goal is not to invite a little bit of Jesus into our daily lives, but rather for us to live fully into the life 
of Jesus on the other side of the cross. The empty tomb Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He has new life for us, and he's inviting us to live in that. We could put the the last slide up here real quick. This is the theme for this whole sermon series. And so the first Sunday of a new sermon series is always awkward for me as a pastor because I feel like I need to lay the groundwork for where we're going for the next few weeks. And so it's a little bit heady sometimes. Uh, But this is going to be the foundation for the next several weeks. Because of Jesus' love for us, he invites us into his life where we can belong to him and can believe in him. I mean, I've only said that like 15 times today. I think it might be where we're going and important. And because of this, because of this, I'm going to invite us to conclude our, our sermon time today, and probably in the weeks ahead. I haven't made the final decision on this, but probably um, by reciting the Apostles' Creed. Anybody familiar with this? Yeah? The Apostles' Creed, um, a declaration of what it is that we believe about this resurrected Jesus, right? We belong to him. He loves us. What is it that we believe about him? So I'm going to invite the the worship team to come and prepare. They're going to lead us in one final song. And as they're coming, um, invite you just to to read along with me on the screen. I think I got slides for these. Uh, The Apostles' Creed. Um, Everybody see that? All right, read with me, if you will. I believe in Jesus Christ. God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.